The Provoke Podcast, brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers. Greetings, everybody, and welcome to another Provoke Media podcast, uh, where we are joined by our friends from GCI Health and one of their clients from Jazz Pharmaceuticals, and I'm going to let uh, the three ladies introduce themselves, and then we'll dive into a conversation about global healthcare campaigns, myth or reality. Um, Kristen, say hi. Hi, Paul. Good to see everyone. I'm Kristen Cahill. I'm the global CEO of GCI Health and thrilled to be here to talk about global communications today. And Kath? Hi, Paul. Hi, everyone. Um, I'm Kath Harrison. So I'm the president of Europe and Middle East for GCI Health. Um, very excited to talk about this topic. I think it's something that we is very pertinent in our industry right now. And Amy? Hello, um, Paul and everyone. Uh, my name is Amy Christian. I am the VP and Global Head of Corporate Communications and Engagement at, at Jazz Pharmaceuticals. And as we were talking about before, I have um, a lot of experience with global campaigns uh, working and living both in Europe and in the US. And um, I'm really excited for this topic today. Okay, so I will admit that I am a long time skeptic when it comes to global campaigns. Um, I'm never sure that there are as many of them as global agencies would like us to believe. And I'm never sure that global really works because there are so many local cultural differences and, and in pharmaceuticals, so many regulatory differences from market to market that I just don't see how it's feasible. Um, but um, I am always willing to be persuaded, and I'm certainly always willing to learn. So why don't we start with you, Amy, and tell me how much, from your perspective, you know, how, how global is a global campaign, and how difficult do you find it to actually create and execute global campaigns? Yeah, absolutely. I, I actually do believe that um, there are, are global campaigns and that elements of, of, of these global campaigns um, should be consistent around the globe. Um, having said that, I think one of the misnomers is, is that you can take a campaign from a huge market like the U.S., and just translate it and like plop it into um, other countries, which which I don't actually think. Okay, um, perhaps is that's possible. the source of my skepticism because certainly mm -hmm. in the early days, whenever I talked to somebody about a global campaign, it turned out what well, that was exactly what they meant. They would take their American campaign and give it to their agencies in the UK and Germany and Turkey and Singapore and Thailand and try and replicate it, and that seemed insane to me so what does a yeah. modern what does a modern well thought out global campaign look like in my opinion i think a modern global campaign um takes into account cultural language um population nuances and and 
draws the red thread from what a global strategy is into what a local implementation could look like. And that means that many things stay consistent. If you're talking about a corporate um, campaign, the corporate brand needs to be maintained. If you're talking about a product brand, the product brand, look and feel, colors, palette, that should all be maintained. If you're looking at um, imagery, that's a something that I think can be subtly changed depending on what country you're going into, maintaining the same, same look and feel of the photography guidelines, but maybe being more representative of the country that you're going to. Okay. And um, I mean, it's interesting that we're discussing this topic with GCI, which has been global for the last five years or so. I think it's fair to say, um, as you've expanded, I mean, the European operation is well established, but Asia is a little newer for, for you. And obviously that was in response to a perceived or real demand. How many of your clients come to you um, looking for help on a global basis? Yeah, absolutely. And yes, our our, our European our UK office just celebrated their 10-year anniversary. So we're very uh, excited about that. Um, but but yeah, I mean, I, I would say uh, over 50% of our clients are global in nature, meaning that we're either supporting them in multiple markets around the world on the ground and or we are supporting clients with global roles who are responsible for uh, communicating and galvanizing multiple markets around the world. So certainly we see that number increasing every day uh, as, as healthcare organizations, pharmaceutical companies expand more and more around the world. Um, and I think, you know, as Amy said, and as you said, there's there's good ways to do that and there's not so good ways to do that. So, you know, certainly that that model of the U.S. or a Western co country in, in Europe uh, kind of force forcing a message or a strategy or content into local markets, we know that doesn't work. But we've definitely seen examples uh, in recent years where we have been able to drive a large degree of engagement in markets, in many, many markets, 30, 40, 50 markets around the world, um, adapting global content. But I think the key always is finding that universal truth. What is that that common human experience in health that is true no matter where you sit. And, and that's really where the magic happens is when you can tap into that universal insight. And so a lot of the work that we try to do as a global organization is constantly listening through our local markets on the ground to what are some of those themes that are bubbling up that seem to be true everywhere. So for example, healthcare provider burnout, that's a pretty universal experience, no matter where you sit in the world. And so how is that something that we can galvanize and rally around? So I think it's about really finding that that common human truth at the end of the day. Okay. One of, one of the things that has always struck me as particularly complex when it comes to healthcare campaigns that are international or global in scope is the very different regulatory environment um, from one market to another. And um, again, you know, the, the US is, I think, relatively um, sort of relaxed mm -hmm. when it comes to direct to patient communication in a way that the UK 
uh, and Kath, you can speak to this, I think, probably directly and, and better than I can, in a way that the UK is is still not particularly relaxed. So how do you how do you um, create a campaign that that allows you to speak consistently um, in tightly regulated and less tightly regulated environments like that? Yeah, I mean, you're, abs you're absolutely right. And I think, you know, you are, we are much more constrained, not only often being in pharmaceutical space, but then also um, market regulations. And I think, um, you know, the majority of um, global campaigns outside the US will be disease awareness focused um, or, you know, focused on a particular insight um, or issue um, that is relevant across markets, but will not be, um, you know, will not be branded. Um, and I think from, and I'm sure I'd, uh, Amy can add to this as well, but, you know, from an internal point of view, it's about understanding your internal stakeholders, often your legal and compliance and regulatory teams um, and bringing them on that journey of ideation early. Um, so ensuring that you have a very clear sort of understanding of what the um, intended outputs are or what the hypothesized outputs are of the campaign, um, you know, understanding your audience behaviours and, you know, how to um, how to build that campaign early and then working with your stakeholders to bring them along that journey. And I think, you know, that that process needs to be agile um, and ensure that, you know, there are opportunities to pressure test and our opportunities to course correct if, um, you know, if messaging or tonality needs adapting um, or changing based on the dependent of the market that you're operating in. Yeah, I mean, just to build on that, I would, Kath, I don't, I don't think the partnership um, between regulatory compliance and communications in that regard could be overstated because being able to understand what the constraints are so then we can creatively work within that framework is, is where, as, as, um, uh, uh, Kristen said, I like where the magic happens. Um, and, and if you can really get a, a clear understanding as to what we're trying to achieve within the constraints that the country um, allows, then, then you can really kind of adapt a global campaign um, to whatever country you happen to be in. There are also obviously um, differences from culture to culture when it comes to how engaged um, patients are in their own healthcare. The tradition of health activism that I saw when I was working in the US, for example, is very different from what I see in Europe and, and even more different, I think, from what I see in, in Asia. The extent to which patients are um, sort of you know, encouraged to go to their doctors and say, what about this medication or what about this option for treatment? Um, seems to me to be um, very different from market to market. How much do you have to take that into consideration? Well, I can I can start off and I would say in my experience, um, the roles of the patient advocacy groups um, either inside or, or outside of the US in other countries um, can play an ever increasingly important role in, in how to um, share information. Um, and that can really kind of contribute to what you would consider you know, patient advocacy 
advocates um uh advocacism which was which what is what you just said um i think especially outside the united states working with patient advocacy groups in order to share information and co-create content um can be a really powerful tool in global campaigns yeah, yeah and i think also oh go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to say, and I think, you know, it goes back to my point about understanding your audience and segmenting them and then knowing, um, you know, their behaviours and motivations, uh, depending on which audience they are, because and then how that differs by country. And then you can apply a tailored approach. So I think back to your point at the top, you know, there is no one size fits all. There is no, you know, there are universal truths, which we will use as the grounding to base a campaign on. But we will then make sure that there is segmentation of messaging of targeting, whether that's, you know, social media or other that is relevant um, and respective of the market you're operating in, but also the typical behaviors of the audience you're trying to communicate with. Yeah, and I think just to build on that, I personally believe that any campaign, whether it's global or not in healthcare, is not truly optimized unless it speaks to both the patient and the provider. Because at the end of the day, if you're sending patients into a doctor's office with a message and the providers aren't receptive, it's not going to work. And if you're having sending a message to the providers, but the patients aren't receptive, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be incomplete. And I think that's particularly helpful when you're looking at global, because to your point, Paul, in certain markets like in Asia, where absolutely with holistic medicine and, and with the, the cultural stigma that exists around talking about in certain health conditions, patients are absolutely less proactive and empowered around certain conditions. And so the healthcare provider plays a bigger role. So when you're devising a global campaign, if you have a healthy mix of patient messages and HCP messages, you can then kind of dial up or down depending on the market based on both the regulatory constraints as well as the cultural nuances. And I think that is the the sweet spot for us when we're devising campaigns is how do we make sure they're multi-stakeholder? Because in this world, you can't just talk to one audience and not another. We're all okay. way too interconnected. So if I if I accept, um, and I think I, I think I have to, that there are in fact more global campaigns today and that um and that they do in fact work, then what what is driving the increase in clients looking for global solutions. Is it a cost effectiveness argument or are there sound strategic reasons and brand building reasons for doing this as well? Um, so I can jump in. I mean, I have a point of view in terms of um, why, why now or why today would be global campaigns would be more important. I think there's an ever increasing need and desire for digital communication. All of us have phones and computers that uh, where we get a huge amount of our information, whether it be news or research that we're doing on our own um, healthcare questions or whatever it is we need to, um, to do. We always say, well, let's ask the internet. And, and that is a borderless um, construct. And so, you know, I, as you can tell from my um, accent, I am clearly American. I happen to be in the UK this week and I notice on my phone, my algorithm changes and I'm getting yeah. served up different content. So yeah. it's, it's really, really important that we recognize that that's probably the, the life experience of most consumers today, that they are borderless as well when it comes to their internet usage. And so it makes sense as, as people travel around the world, that the content that they get served up 
should have a little bit of consistency um, so they can recognize from a brand building perspective what it is we're trying to achieve. Yeah, and I think that's equally true of the media, the earned media landscape as well, which obviously has become much more global in nature. And not every outlet is truly global, but with the exception of markets where there's censorship, many, many media are, are reaching a global audience and collaborating globally. We know all the top newswires and the top uh, you know, newspapers and, and the agenda setting reporters, they have teams around the world that are passing the baton so that there can be that 24 hour news coverage from Asia to <laughs> Europe to to the Americas. And so we need to respond to, to that global media environment as well. But I think that also plays to people's desires as human beings to be connected more globally to the stories that impact us, you know, that are you know, multi-geography, you know, I think we, we talk about the internet, you know, we, there's a lot happening in the world where it's not on your doorstep, but still something that impacts your day to day. So if we're relating that to sort of global campaigns, it's understanding and being able to learn from the experiences of people who live in different countries and are, you know, subject to different local regulations, market dynamics, cultures, backgrounds, um, and, and find those points of connection. Um, because I think that's something as, as humans, we all seek that connection um, with someone we relate to. So if you are talking about a disease awareness campaign, for example, you know, being able to learn from experiences of other people goes back to the sort of core basis of, of communication and being able to learn from those experiences and feel that you're not the only person experiencing this. Um, so I think that's that's one of the good things um, of having the digital world um, and being able to access information so much more easily than we used to, which is totally yeah, me showing my age as well. <laughs> the first question I got from a call I had with an Asia colleague was about Taylor Swift yesterday. So, you know, <laughs> okay. news so, is truly global. So I, I, I sort of understand that, that as social media, digital media, global media, have a much larger role to play that we all feel more interconnected with people in, in other countries. At the same time, I assume that the power of local stories is still important. So if you're talking about, you know, patient stories, um, somebody in China is much more likely to, so it's much more likely that a story of another Chinese patient will resonate with them than a story of an American seeking the same kind of treatment. So you still have to find those local stories, right? That's that's an important element of this. Oh, oh yeah, no, I would, I would definitely, definitely agree with that. And that's really where um, the beauty comes in with a global campaign where you can layer on the local nuance, whether it be from a storytelling perspective or from a photography perspective and imagery. Um, you can that's how you can get that emotional connection with the local um with the local audience. Um, but I still would suggest and and um say that the the overarching campaign strategy needs to be consistent across all the countries. So my other source of skepticism when it comes to global campaigns, um, and you're winning me over a little bit, but, but, <laughs> but it's still, even if the campaign needs to be global, 
Does the agency need to be global? In other words, what is the advantage to saying, okay, we have a global campaign and we're going to have one agency executed in every market or most markets? And we have a global campaign, but we're going to hire the best agency in Hong Kong and the best agency in Japan and the best agency in France and the best agency in the US in order to ensure that kind of local quality and connection. Um, and I, I mean, I'm sure that GCI is among the best agencies in every market where it operates, but there are presumably places where there are local firms that you could just as easily turn to. How do you how do you create that balance, Amy? So I would say um, on the whole, leveraging the scale of a global agency like GCI is the ideal scenario. Absolutely. Um, but I but I will say, and you know, Kristen and I have had this conversation in some countries where the the culture is is particularly nuanced, and I would suggest like Japan or China being one of those countries, um, it is also in our best interest to to look at local boutique agencies that may have a stronger finger on the pulse of um, of that particular culture, and then determining what is the best solution um, for those particular countries. But on the whole, uh, really accessing the leverage of scale of the global um, agencies is ideal. And why is it ideal? It's ideal because you know you want to make sure that you're not playing a game of telephone every time you um, have to share a change or have a strategic conversation. And what we've also found is that um, you can have kind of a, a double-pronged approach in that we have alignment within our own internal team. And we expect alignment amongst our, our global agency as well. And so we kind of cover ourselves around, I would say the majority of the world by using that approach. And then if there is an, a country where we feel as though a local approach is better, then we, we implement that. Um, but it would not be in our best interest to have 50 different agency agencies deploying um, a, a similar global strategy. And so having an agency that has strong representation in most of the countries is fantastic. And I think one of the things we've seen is that one of the biggest predictors of success with any global campaign is engagement on the client side of those local country communicators who are responsible for implementation. Right. If they're if they're not on board, if they don't want to embrace the content, embrace the strategy, then it's not going to be successful. And so giving them that choice, you know, and allowing them to have some autonomy where it makes sense in, to, in terms of who they work with at the local level is important. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, I think to Amy's point, it's it's probably a healthy mix. Um, but I, I think certainly at the onset, if you don't have that global mindset going into the creation of the strategy, that can be challenging. Yeah, I think I mean, it's that, also that, about efficiency. Yeah, it's, that, that was gonna be that was gonna be sort of my follow-up question on that yeah. because um I've often wondered about the tension between 
you know, somebody like Amy in her global role and somebody at a country manager level who is responsible for, for local success. And um, I'm sure this isn't the case, but, um, you know, having a, having a global agency imposed on the local person. And again, that, that speaks to me to the shift from the American-centric approach to global to a truly global approach to global, which means that people from the individual markets have to be involved in the planning process rather than just sort of unwrapping a, a strategy that comes from American minds only. Paul, I think you you really, you know, opened a, a, a great topic of conversation there. And I was about to build on Kristen's um, point because co-creation is absolutely um, a recipe for success in this regard. And, and understanding that truly co-creating something with your country counterparts takes time and energy and making sure you build that in to the um to the development process so everybody has uh, you know their hearts and minds have been won over by the time we get to the implementation stage is really 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 important um when we when we do that we just finished a corporate storytelling um project and um we we really want it to be a globally accepted program and so we built focus groups into our development process um and really got some great feedback from around the world. And so now when we're rolling it out, we feel very confident that everybody is gonna resonate with the content because a lot of people have had um, some say into what the final deliverable has been. Yeah. Right. And presumably that's one of the advantages of a global agency is not just that you can, you know, you, you can sort of execute the campaign locally, but that you can also plug into and listen to um, local patient groups, local employees, local media, and bring that yeah. kind of insight back into the client. Yeah, and I think the point there is what you said, listening. And I think that's a really key part of it, you know, whether it's the planning stage from an internal point of view of listening to your market leads and really, you know, hearing from the people who are on the ground, who are having the conversations, whether it's with the healthcare provider or the patient or the patient advocate, um, but then also, you know, doing your own sort of listening, what what conversations are happening on different digital media channels, you know, what's happening in social media, you know, what are people talking about, and then being able to feed all those insights in, but then, you know, as you're a part of that planning process, test you know, test and course correct, you know, if we've got a message track, you know, does it resonate? Does it translate well? Do you keep the same trans sentiment when you translate it? That's often something that, you know, that we come across is that when you're direct translating um, certain messaging, you know, is there a clear call to action? If there is a call to action to your campaign that doesn't get lost in translation, that's really, really important, you know, use the use of visual imagery um, to tell a story, you know, that classic, a picture tells a thousand words, you know, that is something that is um, able to transcend language barriers, um, particularly when you're looking at campaigns that um, are multi-market that may not be translated into every single language. You know, how does the use of visual imagery really help to tell a story? You know, those are all the things that we would consider and work through with the client team to make sure that we are truly thinking about it from, um, the person that we are trying to communicate with. 
And um, you sort of alluded to this earlier when we were talking about the regulatory and cultural differences from market to market. But does a global campaign in the healthcare or in the pharmaceutical space in particular um, almost have to be a disease awareness campaign or can you create a global branded campaign? I do believe you can have a, a global branded campaign. Um, and at a company that I used to work at, we we coined the phrase, you know, global strategy. And that was to mean that we had an overarching global strategy that had local implementation. And there were some non-negotiable elements of the global strategy that needed to be pulled through to the local implementation. And that could be anywhere from um, the tagline or the fonts, the look and feel, the colors, making sure that no matter where you were in the world, you would see these very strong elements. And then of course there were um, elements that were adaptable, whether or not obviously you were in the US and you could do DTC advertising, or if you were um, in a country that did not allow that, and it had to be um, more HCP education rather than um, DTC. So, you know, keeping the regulatory factors in mind, but making sure that you're very clear on what the non-negotiable brand elements that needed to be captured um, across uh, every country. And, I, and I've seen that done in both disease awareness as well as product um, communications as well. What are the what are the keys, Kristen, to from your perspective to creating a, a global branded campaign? Well, I think you know what's interesting too is to think about uh, product brand versus corporate brand, right? So we've right. seen since the pandemic that the corporate brand in healthcare has emerged as perhaps equally important sometimes as the corporate brand, right? Or excuse me, as the product brand. So one is, is thinking not just about an individual product, but how is the organization showing up globally and what can we do with that corporate brand to bring it to life? But in terms of any global campaign, the most successful elements, I think we've touched on a lot of them. I think it is about making sure that you have that engagement at the local level early and often and not just doing it once, but doing it throughout to Kath's mm -hmm. point to optimize. I think it's about making sure that you're not imposing a Western viewpoint on the world and really taking a step back and knowing where your blind spots are and being able to take advice and counsel from people around the world, whether that be your agency or your colleagues or just listening to the stakeholders. Uh, and I think it's definitely about, again, having that flexibility built into the global campaign in terms of being able to dial up and down on stakeholders, being able to dial up and down on certain messages or branded versus unbranded. But ultimately, as I said at the beginning, I do think it is about you know, we live in a very polarizing world right now. And to Kath's point earlier, I think all of us are hungry to find common humanity in anything we're, we're viewing or consuming. And so the extent to which we can unite people through a message, through a call to action, through a rallying cry, uh, wherever they're sitting in the world, that that is to me the most successful element mm -hmm. of, of any global campaign. I, I mean, we've a lot of your answers have, uh, I think, quite rightly stressed the importance of sort of flexibility and modularity and being able to dial up or down various aspects of the campaign 
from market to market or region to region. And I suspect that's going to be the answer to the next question as well. But let's talk a little bit about sort of integration and the mix of channels that you use for a global campaign. Um, like most PR firms, I know you've expanded your content creation capabilities a lot more digital um, and a lot more paid media um, is now coming out of PR agencies than ever before. Um, how much does the mix have to change from market to market? Um, I'm thinking about, you know, the, the prevalence of D2C advertising in America, for example, um, which is pretty much off the off the table anywhere else, or in many other markets, let's say. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So, how how flexible do you have to be in terms of integration, and and how much integration do you strive for across channels and media? Yeah. I, I think, uh, you know, we, we believe no matter what, whether it's a global campaign or, or any communications initiative, that the best approach is always about putting the story at the center and then finding the right channel mix to bring that to life. And that can, should be dependent for, and different for every, every single effort. You know, whether you call it omnichannel or the peso model or whatever you want to call it, um, I think most campaigns today should, should have a healthy mix. I think the challenge that becomes interesting is obviously in, in certain markets, communications are a little bit more uh, integrated or, or diverse in terms of the, the channels and, and things you have at your disposal than they are in others. So influencers is a great example. In the U.S., I think healthcare organizations are full-on embracing the use of influencers, yeah. healthcare providers, patients, policy influencers in their communications. It's starting to catch on in Europe. It's more nascent in other markets. So when you're building a global campaign and you want to think about an influencer strategy, how do you make sure that you balance that that might be very, very new to certain markets, but very uh, needed and, and ingrained in others? And, and that's where I think even even as we look ahead to other trends in communications, it's it's how do you navigate, you know, the the differing degrees of sophistication in, in terms of the communications mix. So it always needs to be there. But I think just like the stakeholder mix, it's about really listening to what channels are being used. I think mm -hmm. the other point that my digital team always reminds me is everyone, we have to remember that social channel utilization differs greatly in different yeah. markets. Right. And so we can't just assume that because we're, uh, you know, we're all down on X and up on Instagram and LinkedIn, that every market is like that. Right. Especially when you're thinking about markets like China. So that's a, you know, a really important consideration is even within that that peso model and the S and social, there's great variation in terms of channel approach yeah. there. What about, I, your your discussion of influencers made me made me wonder about this because it's one of the things that I see I see in terms of award entries is that um, the use of celebrities it always seems to be much more prevalent in the U.S. than it is in other markets, and of course you know each all markets have their own celebrities. Um, you know I think about. Somebody like Oprah probably resonates in the U.S., but not necessarily um, quite as strongly globally. Um, oh, does I this mitigate? <laughs> does creating global campaigns mitigate against the use of celebrities, or do you have to uh, find 
locally sensitive celebrity lo locally sensitive celebrities anyway or is that something that you're sort of steering away from anyway because they're, they're not as effective as they used to be what's the what's the story there well, I would say from a from a corporate brand perspective, um, the use of celebrities is is not effective. And so, if if you were to do um, a corporate brand, that that's not a a road you would go down. Um, for disease awareness and for for product, I've seen it done um, in a lot of different ways. And and you're exactly right; it is much more prevalent in the U.S. Um, and you would see it more often than not. And I think, and maybe Kristen and Kath can, um, can corroborate or refute my, my theory, but I, but I think it has to do, um, a, a lot with, you know, the ROI of, of utilizing that sort of spokesperson for, for what you're trying to achieve. Um, and, and outside of the U S I, I don't think the ROI would be, um, mm -hmm worth it in terms of of um doing that when you when there are many more effective ways to share the story tell the story and, and really win the hearts and minds of of what we're what we're trying to communicate yeah i mean i think it's it's what we call authenticity in action i think you know us us skeptical british um you know would think well you know you would say that because you're being paid to say it so i think you know there's there's a definitely a place for it and i think where it resonates and where it can where it connects with your audience in the right way is absolutely appropriate but i think you know this is where we talked about influencers and even down to what you know are termed micro influencers they might they might not have the following um, that is deemed you're an influencer i.e i'm an advertiser so i would want you to advertise my product but the message you put out with a much smaller following can still resonate with the person or the people that you're trying to communicate with. And I think that's the, that's a really important thing is authenticity. You know, you want to work with people who can help spread a message and be part of a campaign that truly believe in the purpose of it and what you're trying to communicate and the call to action. And I think that's where the truly authentic piece comes in. Um, because they have to believe in what they're talking about. And, you know, that also comes back to co-creation. You know, it's not a it's not a push out. It's got to be a conversation. And I think those are all elements that have probably seen um, a shift over recent years in terms of how these campaigns are built um, and structured. Okay. So what what do we see as the future of global campaigns will there be more of them will they be more global will will the the world be becoming more sort of homogenous or are they always going to have to be modular and flexible and and and, and locally um differentiated Well, I can jump in. You know, I, I think the the future of um, global healthcare looks a lot more digital, um, a lot more social. It really, um, I've been fascinated by by the past decade in social and how we are able to utilize that as a storytelling device um, in ways that I never thought would be possible. Um, and so I, I think that is going to only increase um, as time goes on. And given the fact that it is a borderless 
kind of construct, um, I think that that will increase the, the global nature of, of these campaigns. Um, I'm fascinated also by the ability, you know, the push and pull of communications and a lot of social is, is pulled in through the, the consumer of that media. Um, and so we, and we don't know um, when and where all people will be consuming um, that that sort of um, information. So being able to anticipate that it is global um, in nature by default, um, I think is gonna be really, really important moving forward. And then of course, I would be remiss if I didn't mention AI in terms of um, you know what, what the future of global healthcare communications looks like. And I, I can't say that I, I know how AI is going to help support us um, in the future, but I do believe that that it will play a significant role in 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 how we um, share information, how we uh, research information, and and how we move forward with healthcare communications. Yeah, I, I would I would certainly second that. I do think that the future looks to be continued to be global because of all the reasons Amy said. Mm -hmm. I think as it relates to AI, though, what's going to be interesting is. Um, obviously, I believe that, that AI will revolutionize not only communications in terms of making us faster and more efficient, being uh, allowing us to, to test our messages in real time to understand the effectiveness of our communications much more quickly. It's also going to add significantly, I think, to the clutter of content that exists out there, but it's also going to change healthcare. It's going to change drug delivery, supply yeah. chain the relationships between patients and healthcare providers. I think what's going to be interesting to see is similar to the influencer conversation, how does the level of adoption differ around the world? And what yeah, is the exactly. implications of that for global communications? So if you have certain markets who are really embracing AI and infusing that into communications and infusing that into healthcare really early on, but other markets aren't there yet, how do we need to, to adapt to that given the, I think, the huge impact that it's going to have? So I think that's going to be something to look out for is what is the true global adoption of AI into our communications world uh, over the next few years? But AI will never replace us though, right? <laughs> you can't replace humans. <laughs> but it's exciting. I think my my last comment is like, you know, learning from other people's lived experiences, build, bringing people closer who are all in an effort to be more sustainable, travel less. You know, it, it, it brings people closer together and being able to learn from those lived experiences of, of different people around the world, I think is actually quite an exciting prospect, um, which is why we should continue to truly try and be global and, and reflect um, those experiences and those, um, you know, messages of people who perhaps don't always have the platforms to be able to communicate. Yeah. Um, okay, that, that was um, a really interesting journey. Um, I I feel like I feel like um I've I've been more convinced than I expected to be by your pro-global argument, which is a ridiculous thing <laughs> for somebody who runs a global publication to say, because all of the things that you've highlighted as benefits, particularly that idea that, you know, we should be listening to to the lived experiences of people around the world and learning from them. Um, is is critically important, but I want to. I I think as a great lesson, I want to come back to the first couple of sort of segments of the conversation that we had, and say that you know where global works is if you do that, and if you're bringing back experiences from smaller 
distributed markets to the US rather than simply imposing the US experience on everybody else and assuming that the US knows how to do it best, which I think is where global was 20 years ago when I was when I was yeah. writing about a lot of global campaigns. Um, I think truly global campaigns where you're learning from the rest of the world and and, and not imposing one national perspective. Um, if you can do that is um, is the way forward. And I'm sure we'll see more of that in the future. Um, even in healthcare, which I think is uniquely challenging in terms of creating global campaigns because of different regulatory and cultural experiences. Um, but again, if you're um, you know thinking thinking global and executing local, um, then you've got the best of best of all worlds. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Okay. Well, thank Fun. you very much, everybody. Um, that was a, a lively. 30 or 40 minutes of, of discussion. Um, I hope our audience found it as interesting as we did. Thank you to GCI for putting this together. Thank you to Amy for your um, very thoughtful contributions. Um, thank and you. thank you to our audience for listening. See you soon. You've been listening to the Provoke podcast, brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the International Broadcast Specialist Marketeers.